0: The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He revives my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You guys may be seated. Could I pray for us? Cool. Well, I was going to do it anyways. I was just being courteous, so... <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, be among your people. Um, God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, guide me, that you would make me simply good at getting out of the way, that people may see Jesus. I pray that your word come alive, that these may not just be words on papers, papers in a book, but opportunities to see your face, uh, that we can encounter your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as you guys heard, I am from New York, Uh, very proud of that. But we love our time here uh, in Atlanta. We just moved um, not too long ago. Uh, We just made a year back in January. Um, And it's been great. And, you know, this past Thanksgiving, I think, you know, I've been married uh, this July 15 years. We've got two great kids, Josiah and Hayden. I I, I think they'll be here at the 11 o'clock. So you guys might just miss them. Um, 13 and 10 married 15 years, Uh, and I think for the span of our marriage, we've never hosted Thanksgiving. We uh, lived (laughs) in 650 square feet, uh, and so there wasn't a lot of space to host uh, much, Uh, it was just enough space for the four of us. Uh, And for the first time this past Thanksgiving, we were able to host Thanksgiving. Uh, We had a gang of friends from New York. Uh, come down, I was going to say come up, but come down to Atlanta, Uh, and then just a whole bunch of local uh, friends uh, and family that live here. Um, And by the end of the night, we had about 30 people in our, what feels like a mansion now compared to what we had in New York. And it it was such a great time. But, you know, before we had everybody come in, you know, my wife and our two kids, Uh, We had to move everything out of the way uh, to make room for the folks that we had invited to be with us, right? All the things that made our day-to-day comfortable and convenient and feel like home, our couch, our table, we had to just get out of the way uh, to make room for new furniture uh, that would help others feel comfortable, that would help others feel what we feel on an everyday basis, right? The comfort and the convenience of being in our space. We wanted uh, to make room for that. And after the end of the night, or, you know, excuse me, before the the night started, my wife and I uh, really just wanted two things out of the night, that people would feel safe and satisfied, that they would come into our our space, having adjusted it the way that we wanted it to uh, be, we wanted them to feel safe and to feel satisfied. That was our goal by the end of the night. And I think we did that. Right, We were drinking wine, we were having laughs, we were uh, sharing stories, the kids were running around. It was just such a beautiful night. Um, but this idea of feeling safe and satisfied in foreign spaces is a really hard concept. I think it's hard to feel safe and satisfied altogether, right? These are two things that I think are difficult in our world of conflict and trauma and hard relationships, to feel safe and satisfied is quite the task. It's hard to experience, let alone sustain over the course of our lives. And you know, last week, um, Pastor Jenny spoke about some of the things that can stand in the way of us experiencing intimacy and connection. And those two words kind of... They resonate with me so much, and I think they resonate with all of us, right? Because intimacy and connection is, I think, something that we all want. Pastor Ginny spoke very well about uh, the things that usually stand in the way, and she mentioned two of them that really uh, resonated with me, right? Pain avoidance and this overwhelming sense of self-interest. Those, those things typically stand in the way of us feeling intimate and connected. And I think in some ways those two things are connected to our inability to embrace our limits and our needs. That if we were uh, much more willing and open to embrace our limits and our needs, I think we would live a a much different experience. And I think out of that trauma is birthed this kind of hyper-independence that uh, convinces us that we don't need anyone. I feel like This hyper-independence is usually birthed out of trauma, that we need to do things on our own. We don't need anybody. And I think the real tragedy is that we treat God that way. Ultimately, we treat God as if we uh, don't need him. And um, it's forced me to ask a lot of questions about my own spiritual journey, right? Where have I not embraced my limits, Where have I resisted rest? Where have I resisted stopping? How has it impacted my life? How has it impacted my relationship with my wife, with my kids? How has it impacted the way that I go to work? All of that. Last week, uh, Pastor Jenny said something really profound, and I, I hope you guys took it and treasured it with you because I thought it was so beautiful when she said it. She said the church ought to be this place safe enough for your truest self to show up. Church ought to be safe enough for your truest self to show up, especially when that self is fragile and broken and messy. But the real question I left with after hearing that from Pastor Jenny was, well, how do we do that? How do we actually create? church to be a space safe enough for your truest self to show up? That's the question. That's the practical question that we want to wrestle with. And I think Psalm 23 offers us some guidance. The opening verse tells us about who God is to us. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. And just so that you guys know, I know we've read the whole Psalm, but I'm really just going to park the car in verse 2. Because I think there's so much in verse 2 that I want us to extract. The opening verse tells us about who God is and then the following verses show us and tell us how he shows that. Notice what the rest of the song after verse one says because this is a song. And I've always thought that art has always been at the forefront of transformation. This is a song, a poetic expression of what David was going through at the moment. He lets me lie down He leads me, he renews me, he directs me. In danger, he is with with me, he comforts me, he prepares a table for me, he anoints my head. These are all the things that God does to show that he is our shepherd. But to our very independent, make-your-own-decision kind of culture, verse 2 feels a little off-putting. He lets me (laughs) lie down in green pastures. And you almost think to yourself, well, don't nobody let me do anything, (laughs) I do what I want when I want, Rich. But, you know, when I sat with this a bit more and I tried to understand its tone, I realized that this was less permission that God was granting and more of an invitation that he was offering. Less permission and more of an invitation. And this is quite the radical invitation. Because stopping and laying down and resting demands a lot of us. To stop in our culture, to rest in our culture, to reflect, to meditate in our culture demands quite a bit of us. It demands for us to be satisfied and happy and content with whatever it was that you were working on. And that's a terrifying thought, Emmanuel. To think that you can be satisfied and happy and content with the work that you have been working on I think is a terrifying thought and it's terrifying because you have to understand yourself beyond what you do, beyond what you produce. This is why we don't rest very well. (laughs) This is why rest fundamentally is about trust and identity, not about inactivity. That's a terrifying thought because we still don't think that we are more than what we produce. So much of our culture and so much of the way that we live today forces us to define ourselves by what our hands make, by what we can produce. So to stop, to reflect, to rest, absolutely terrifies us to the core because it means you have to understand yourself beyond what you do. In the case of sheep, To lay down or to rest can mean two things. The sheep is satisfied with its grazing and the sheep feels safe in its environment. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this. You know, it's interesting when we read this part of the text uh, in the Psalms because we we, we tend to think about abundant, lush, green pasture. But historically, that's just not the way Israel set up. Uh, You know, back in 2016, my wife and I had the privilege to to travel to that part of the world, and we realized that this uh, passage, when it talks about green pastures, is not as historically accurate with the things that we often imagine. Historically, it's just not true about Israel. Israel is a very arid land, not lush, patchy is probably the more appropriate word to describe that kind of land. And if it wasn't for the shepherd, the sheep would probably graze patchy grounds forever. (laughs) So it was important for the shepherd to know when it was time to move on. And this often makes me think about God and the way that he dealt with his people uh, in the wilderness. It was a place that didn't offer much. The land didn't offer much to to God's people. And yet, despite that, God was able to sustain a whole nation for 40 years in that place that didn't offer much, giving them just what they needed each day for every single one of those 40 years. But having what we need for the day isn't the way that we often operate. Rationing things off just for the day isn't how we operate, is it? You know, we're constantly being pulled to think about what's next, the next meal the next opportunity, and because of that, I think we have trouble imagining or receiving from God just the day's portion. I don't know about you guys, but speaking honestly here, every time I prayed the Lord's Prayer, I had a hard time thinking about that daily bread portion. Because in my mind, I wish that God would instead give me the Costco portion. (laughs) You know, the idea of God giving me daily bread was really, really hard to process. And I think because we're constantly thinking about the next meal, the next opportunity, it's hard to receive from God just the day's portion. We hope that instead he would give us the week's portion or the month's portion rather than just the day's portion. Why? Because that seems safer. That makes us feel much more secure about our situation if I knew that I had food for the week and the month, not just the day. But church, I do think that we lose something deeply important if God were to do that. Let me illustrate. Uh, Here you'll see a picture of my buddy Domingo. Uh, Domingo uh, is such a good friend back in New York City. He he used to visit our church all the time when, when we were back there. Every day... He went to the love kitchen. Domingo is uh, homeless and unemployed, but every Sunday he found himself at church, probably because of the bagels and the stuff that we had there. But over the course of time, he became family to our church. And every day, Domingo went to the love kitchen, uh, which was a local food pantry in our neighborhood. In fact, right next to the church, uh, right next to our church. Uh, and there he gets online and he, re- he receives a hot meal every single day. This is what he did. And every day he made that line, and every day he sees others there with the same needs as him. And every day he engages with the volunteers who serve him. And I'm sure that there were days where he just did not want to get on that line, days that he was just not up for it. Not because he didn't want to eat, of course he did, but because he didn't want to have to bear the burden of living with that kind of need. But he did it. And I'm sure that there were days that he may have wanted to leave with more than just one meal, maybe meals for a few days, so that he wouldn't have to come back and make that line, so that he wouldn't have to see those folks, so that he wouldn't have to bear the burden of that kind of need. But the love kitchen only gave him one meal a day. But guess what coming back daily offered Domingo? Having to come back daily gave him the opportunity to develop relationships uh, with those that were around him, those serving him in particular. He learned their names, their stories, and even their purpose. He learned what brings them joy and why they were doing this to begin with. This idea of carrying the burden of daily need is really difficult, especially for those of us that are privileged, which I'm sure it's most of us in this room. We, have, we don't really worry about the next meal, <laughs> But here's here's what that began to tell me about God and his engagement with his people. God gives us daily bread, not as a cruel joke, but as a loving invitation. This idea that he wants to engage with us because, you see, he feeds us with bread, but he satisfies us with his company. Emmanuel, this is really, really important to how we mature as honest, thoughtful, generous, and loving children of God. Because in this season, both abundance and in seasons of need, we don't survive on borrowed faith in the same way that we don't get full by watching someone else eat. God is inviting us through our daily need to engage with us, to receive what he has, but to enjoy his company. We don't persevere in a difficult season on monthly bread, but on daily bread. Not because of the bread itself, but because of the company of the one who's giving it to us. You see, the shepherd isn't simply inviting the sheep to feed on green pastures. What I love about this passage is that he's inviting them to leisurely eat in his company. This is the difference between taking my son through a drive-thru just to get fast food or me taking him out and sitting and enjoying a meal with him, engaging with him. He lets me lie down in green pastures. What I love about this is that God lets me have my fill and my rest. I think this is precisely why Jesus reminds Satan that we don't survive on bread alone. Because our souls thrive on trust and connection not simply what we put in our bodies. This is the invitation echoed by Jesus, the good shepherd in Matthew 15, when he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. You see, Jesus understands something about the journey to be impossible without his compassion or his provision. And this is precisely what God is inviting us to as we read this psalm. You see, God Has a deep desire to satisfy you like nothing else can. The question is, will we let him? But a sheep is also able to rest when the sheep feels safe, not only when it's satisfied, but when the sheep feels safe. Now, I grew up in New York City. We didn't have much greens unless you were rolling it up, right? We didn't see much sheep. Unless we were confused about a pit bull that we watched down the street. So we, we didn't see much of what I think we're seeing some now here in Atlanta. But, but, but what I didn't know about sheep was that they had rectangular pupils. Y'all know this? Okay, okay well, it's just me, I guess. Right? <laughs> they have rectangular pupils, not like us. Which means that they have nearly perfect peripheral vision, 320 degrees, I think. In other words, standing in one position, sheep could see somewhat all around them. But what they have in periphery, they lack in depth. Meaning they may see all around them, but they have trouble making out what's right in front of them. Not to mention that sheep don't have claws, they don't run fast, they don't have sharp teeth. <laughs> they are in many ways defenseless in the wild sheep are the prey they're constantly being hunted and and in the very few times that they do feel like they can settle down they probably don't I almost read this and I'm like God can you find another animal to describe us as like I don't I don't want to be a sheep you know like make me a lion or a bear but I want you to imagine something for a moment I want you to imagine that you were a sheep Imagine, that's right, yeah. (laughs) Yes, God, please make me something else. Uh, Imagine for a moment that you are a sheep. Imagine being able to see all around you but not right in front of you. Imagine having ultra-sensitive hearing that goes hundreds of yards away. Imagine constantly wondering what animals around you are hunting you and realizing that you would be practically defenseless when they came. Any little movement... Any little sound, any little unfamiliarity would probably trigger fear, worry, and anxiety, which is no wonder to me that the shepherd leads them to what? Quiet, still waters. Not rustling waters, because that would probably distract them from the very thing they came to the waters for, refreshment. Uh, Summer 2020 was really difficult for our family. Uh, as it was for many of us, right, the kind of uh, the, the, the crux of the pandemic in New York City at a, at a point where it felt like New York City was the epicenter of the pandemic. We were leading this church, wrestling through all of the new dynamics that we had to carry uh, in light of the pandemic, losing folks, uh, figuring out how we were going to talk about what it means to navigate this pandemic, caring for our community at large, a a community dealing with uh, food insecurity, poverty, and uh, home insecurity, all of the things that we had to carry. It became really difficult to be a leader in 2020. Mentally, emotionally, physically, my body was reacting to all of the stress. Uh, and it reached to the point where I, I kind of had a mental, emotional, and physical breakdown in July after we lost uh, uh, somebody, a, a really dear friend, um, whose death was accelerated by the pandemic. And I took a two-month leave of absence uh, to kind of just recover. And I, I wish we had the time to talk more about that because I, I, I do think that there's something really important about the way we talk about our faith, our, our emotional, mental, and physical state. But that's not what I came here to do today necessarily. All that to say, it was a very, very difficult 2020. And during my moments of deepest anxieties throughout those months, I noticed that the places where I was able to truly rest were the places that didn't make any demands on me. The places where I felt like I could truly rest were the places that didn't make any demands on me, where I was able to exist without any obligations but to be myself. Please hear me. The places that didn't make any demands on me, where I had no obligations but to be myself, were the safest places for me. And in those, se- in those days, myself was very broken, insecure, and fragile, and fearful. And if I pretended to be anything but those things, I was going to implode. Maybe you can relate to those feelings. My anxiety made it so difficult to rest mentally and physically. It just almost felt impossible. And the only places I realized I could truly lie down were the places that made me feel Safe. The places that didn't make me feel like I needed to pretend and ignore what I was experiencing. This is really important. The places where I didn't need to pretend like this wasn't happening to me were the safest places for me. The places that welcomed me as I was and where love and intimacy were not in jeopardy because of me. I felt safe in those places. That I could be a mess, that I could be broken, and that I knew that love. Connection and intimacy were not going to go anywhere because I was those things. I felt safe there. A friend shared with me uh, uh, to a group of us a few months ago, uh, this is a, a meeting of pastors and leaders. He says pastors and leaders typically have this tendency to walk into rooms calculating who needs me to be what for them so that I can be that thing for them so that I can secure connection with that person. He would go on to say, we spend our days wearing masks just so that we can make connections, just so that we can ensure intimacy. And I thought to myself, man, that's not just true of pastors. That is true of all of us. We walk into the room calculating. Who needs me to be what? Because if I can be that thing for them, then I can secure that we're connected. We all Wear masks all day long if it means that we can secure connection in return. We will go as far as never being ourselves and only living out the projections of others. Listen to how author Thomas Green says it. He says it this way He says, Many say that it is difficult to know God since we cannot see Him, hear Him, or touch Him as we do another human being. And that is true, of course. But I have become convinced that the greatest obstacle to real discernment and to a genuine growth in prayer is not the intangible nature of God, but our own lack of self-knowledge, our unwillingness to know ourselves as we are. Almost all of us wear masks, not only when facing each other, but when looking in a mirror. I think this is particularly true of people of color who are constantly forced to contort their stories or worse, erase parts of their stories just to simply get the job or be acknowledged in the spaces that they occupy. But here's the thing, we don't even get intimacy in those cases because we spent all day wearing masks, any connection that people made with us was with our mask. Not with us. And the greater tragedy is that we treat God this same way. And when we treat God this way, we never take Him up on the offer to love us. When we wear a mask with God, we essentially resist His offer to love us. You see, God wants to love you, not your mask. But I will admit, to take off your mask is very risky. To take off your mask and to show your truest self is a very risky thing. You're just not sure if it's safe. Pastor Jenny, you might have to throw something at me if I'm going way too beyond time. Okay. I'm like looking at my time here. I don't want to respect y'all's time. But to take your mask off is a very risky thing. You're just not sure if it's safe to take it off. And listen, that is a legitimate fear. To be your truest self causes us to worry if. Archer itself will be accepted. This is why people creep into church. They're not, you know, they put their best foot forward, and they'll, they'll smile, and they'll act cool, and they'll try to make some connections, but they won't take off the mask because they're just not sure. It is a very legitimate fear because love, church, love is risky and painful because we know the gut-wrenching pain of vulnerability in the wrong hands. Amen? we know the gut-retching pain of vulnerability pastor ridge pastor jenny y'all asking me to be vulnerable but i know the pain of what it means to of what it means to be vulnerable in the wrong hands the pain that makes us reluctant to trust again the pain that makes us reluctant to try love and intimacy and connection again now i know what that feels like bro i'm I'm good. I le- let, me, let me keep this mask on. Yet the liberating truth of the message of Jesus, the liberating truth of Jesus' life is that he took on the vulnerable realities of loving a people who would reject him so that we can be honest with ours. Jesus took on, this is the liberating truth, y'all. Jesus took on the vulnerable realities of loving a people he knew would reject him so that we can be honest with our lives. Because love, friends, will always be on the other side of vulnerability. You'll never find love before vulnerability. You'll you'll only deeply find it on the other side of vulnerability. God desires to love us. And if we're going to have a deep experience with God, then we are going to have to allow every part of ourselves, especially the parts that you work hard to hide. We are going to have to allow God's love to reach especially the parts that we hide. Because God can only be known through devotion, not knowledge. You know, Micah came up here. He read a little bio. I wish he would have just gone with what he knew. You know, what, what you started with was just cool. But he came up here and he read a little bio. He's like, man, all right, Rich, yo, send me a little bio, a couple lines of what you did. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, sure, here it is. But what felt more natural was when he just started making jokes about how we connected. Right? You may hear something about me, but you don't know me just because you heard something about me. You, you'll know me when we start to spend some time together. You'll know me through devotion. We'll know each other through the devotion, not simply just what you know about me. God works in the same way. Because the safest place for our souls to rest is love. This is why 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love that drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fear is not complete in love. Now let me qualify this for a second because I don't imagine that this passage is assuming that we'll never feel fear. In fact, I don't think it's even saying that we fail when we feel fear, which I think sometimes can be language that we use in church, right? Right? Faith over fear. But no, our feelings are very important to the building up of our faith. I don't believe that first that John here is saying that we have failed if we feel fear. Rather, what I think he's inviting us to is to respond to our fears with, by embracing perfect love, which rules out the possibility of being punished just because there are things about you that you think are unlovable. This is the invitation. You know, it's comforting to watch the psalmist begin this psalm talking about God and ending the psalm talking to God. And especially in the last two verses, it feels like we're just watching good friends enjoy each other's company. Right When you get to the end of this psalm, it's kind of like you're just watching friends enjoying each other's company. And you know, in the church culture, if I can say this, In the church culture, we have this this really terrible habit of framing relationships in the context of utility. We do this a lot. We frame relationship, the idea of relationship, in the context of utility. In other words, relationships are only as valuable as the mission, development, and training that they make room for. And I don't think that's untrue. I just don't think that's the whole truth about the value of relationships, Intimacy and connection is what God is inviting us to. And he does it in the form of friendship. And friendship is the relationship that deeply satisfies us whether we're doing everything together or nothing together. Y'all ever kick it with a friend that you perhaps haven't seen in a long time? Sorry for my New York lingo, like kick it. I'm just like all over the place. But I need to be my truest self. So, uh, y'all ever kick it with a friend? Maybe you haven't seen it in a long time. But when you kick it together, it almost feels like y'all picked up right where you left off. And sometimes, this happens to me often, when 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 I invite a friend over and we we spend hours doing nothing. Just kind of sitting, chilling. Now that I have a porch, I'm chilling on my porch. You know, or in my in my back deck, in my yard. Look yard. It's crazy. (laughs) You know? Just chilling. Not doing anything. But the company makes me feel so satisfied. This is precisely what God is inviting us to. And beyond utility, God wants to be in relationship with you so that you can go and change the world. Sure. Yes. But I think But I think the invitation is to be in relationship with God so that we simply enjoy his company. And if you don't go and change the world, you've done precisely what God has invited you to. To enjoy his presence. To enjoy his company. I want to invite us to do something as we close. I want to invite us to do something together. I want us to waste time with God for a moment. I want you to close your eyes in as much as you can. If you have children you can't do that, that's totally fine. No judgment here. But I want you to close your eyes. The idea here is to remove distractions in as much as you can. Imagine laying in an open field or sitting on your back porch or you're just in your yard, but imagine being in an open space. Imagine yourself laying there, totally satisfied, not hungry, and although you're sitting alone, you don't feel lonely. All your work for the day is done. You feel totally safe. You're not worried about a work project, your next meal, or even your kid's schoolwork. You're not fearful of a bill that needs paying. You're not concerned about a discomfort that you've been feeling in your body. You're just sitting there, totally content, totally satisfied. And then all of a sudden, you feel a wind blow by you. But the wind doesn't leave. It kind of just settles around you, right where you are. And it's not a cold wind either, it's kind of a warm one. You feel comfortable in this wind. And just before you open your eyes, you hear Jesus say this to you. Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people have been coming and going and you have not even had time to eat. God, we thank you for your kindness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you here would do what I could never do with my words. That you would do something to each of our hearts to feel safe and to feel satisfied. To be reminded of your deep love for us. To be reminded that at the very base of your invitation is to waste time with you to enjoy your company. Thank you, God, for your word, for your kindness. Thank you for Psalm 23, verse 2. I pray that it would uh, give us life as we go into the rest of this day and this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.